Well, inside your bulletin should be uh, one of these inserts that you can be using for sermon notes. There's also a spot on the back of your bulletin you can use as well. But uh, each week we're publishing one of these that has our uh, core belief that we're looking at for that week. And so on there is a list of scriptures that you can spend some time on after this. So we're not going to get to all of these today, uh, but there's some stuff there for you to use in your personal study. Uh, and as well as uh, the core belief there. On the back of that, are, uh, uh, it's a small group study to use uh, in your small groups. If you are in a small group, uh, some of the groups are, are doing some different curriculum, uh, but several of the groups are going through a discussion based on the sermons. And so there's a guide there. You can also use that for some of your personal study as well as you, you spend some time reflecting on these core beliefs that we have. Uh, we're in a series titled The Core, and uh, we're talking about those, those fundamental beliefs that we have, the, the, the core truths of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to, to bear his image and to become like him. And so if, if the goal of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus, we first have to decide that that is, in fact, our goal. We have to, to be willing to, to compromise on other things so that we can make being like Jesus the most important thing. We're going to have to let go of some things. We're going to have to surrender some things to be able to be like Jesus. And, and so if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to think like Jesus. We have to, to believe the things that he believes. We have to be able to think like him. And so to be, a part, to be able to understand the core of, of who he is, we have to think like he is. And those beliefs will then impact our behavior. Um, but we also have to act like Jesus. We have to do some of the things that, that Jesus does. And he models certain things for us. And, and acting the way Jesus acts will, will help us to become more like him. And at the center of this is God empowering us. God strengthening us to be able to do these things. And so for this series, we're focusing in on that think section. What does it mean to think like Jesus? What are the things that he believed? And so for the last um, couple weeks, we've been talking about what, what does it mean to get these beliefs from our head into our heart? Because we can think about something intellectually, but has it really impacted our hearts? And if our behavior hasn't really changed and doesn't look much different, then I would, would argue that your belief has not gone from your head to your heart. Until your behavior changes, the belief is still stuck in your head. And we're going back to these fundamental beliefs because most of us share and would agree with these beliefs intellectually. But have we gotten to the place where these beliefs are a part of our hearts, where it's impacting our behavior? The last couple of weeks, we, we looked at answering the question, who is God? Who is God? And so we can look at creation as evidence for God. We can look at a scripture as a way to interpret who God is. And we conclude that God, the God of the Bible is the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the God of the Bible pro proves that he is the one true God by the promises that he keeps and the power that he unleashes. And so we see time and time again, uh, but most importantly, we see that in Jesus. God proves that he is our God because of the promises that he keeps to us, because of the gift of Jesus. 
And he proves that he is our God because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is the God we believe in. Last week, we spent a little bit of time looking at what it means to have Father, Son, and Spirit. This this three-person God. One God, but three. And how each one of those brings a unique perspective on how we view and interact with God. And we see this example of perfect community that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. A community that we're invited into. A community that we're called to participate in and a community that we invite others to join in. And so let's uh, read together this belief again from last week together out loud. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if that is the God that we believe in, the question for us that we're going to explore today is, is God good? We see this God in the, in the Bible, this God that we believe in, this God that we confess in, but is God good? There are people who uh, look at the world around us and they start to challenge our faith. They, they see the hurt, they see the brokenness, they see sickness and death, and they wonder, could God be good? If, if, if there is a God, how can these bad things be happening? People say, I don't believe there is a God. No God would allow bad things to happen to good people. Uh, But why is that? Uh, God doesn't have to be good. God is God, right? And he can do what he wants. And so God doesn't have to be good. God could be really bad. That's not evidence for or against God. Uh, You look at the beliefs of of the Greeks and the Romans and the gods that they worshipped in the day, and, and, and their worship was all centered around appeasing the God so the God wouldn't come down and zap them. And there are entire religious beliefs and structures built around worshiping God so he won't get mad at you. Because God is not defined as good. God is somebody who's out to get you, or God is someone who is there to punish you. And and oftentimes we can even get the Christian faith twisted in that way. It says, why do bad things happen? Is God just punishing me? What did you do wrong? Who sinned? in this situation that God would punish. And so God doesn't have to be good. But thankfully for us, the God of the Bible, the God that we follow, the one true God is a good God. And so we follow a good God. He doesn't have to be, but he is. And this is the God that we serve and follow. God is not uninvolved in creation with no plan. He doesn't come in and, and just set things into motion and then leave. God is one that is involved with his people. God is the creator, and he, in, and he is involved with the created. And so as we look at Scripture, as we look at the God of the Bible, as we go through the narrative, the whole story, and see what God is up to and what God is doing, we can come up with this second core belief about God. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Now, this is, this is a belief that uh, can have great implication for us. 
And there's a lot of different places that we can point to in Scripture, and we don't have time to go through the entire narrative of Scripture, right, today. And so there are things that you can point to in Scripture that says God is a good God, that he's involved and in cares for our daily lives. We see, about his, we see how he blesses Abraham and Sarah with a child. We see how he delivers the people out of Egypt. We see how he sends Jesus to redeem his people. We see how the Spirit fills his people to provide counsel and comfort. And so we see a God throughout Scripture who is very much involved in and cares for the daily life of his people. The overarching narrative of the Bible tells this story, the story of a creator God who will stop at nothing to be back in a relationship with his created. And so that's the God that we see in Scripture. It's the God that we follow. God not only involves himself in the large upper story of what's going on, as we talked about through the series, The Story, but he's also very much involved in the lower story, our daily story, the things involved in our life. The Psalms give us beautiful language about this relationship between us and God. And we're going to spend some time looking at several of these different psalms and how they describe who God is and what he's about and how we relate to him. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we look at the mountains around us. We look at the things that God has created. We look at at just the incredible diversity of creation, the magnificence of creation, we look at that and say, where does my help come from? Who's going to take care of me? If, if I look up at the stars and look at the incredible vastness of space and, and feel so small in that, where is my help going to come from? And we can say confidently that the one who created all that the one who created it, that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the one who makes heaven and earth. And he cares enough about me to help me with that. I love, I love this idea of our eyes looking up to a mountain. We have a mountain here that we can look up to. But I also think about the mountains that are in our lives. The mountains of debt, the mountains of conflict, the mountains of fill-in-the-blank of the thing that is just weighing down on you. And you look at that mountain and you look at how overwhelming it can be and you say, where does my help come from? My help comes from God. And so as we go through these psalms, we see several different qualities of God, these, these qualities of who he is that helps us understand his involvement in our lives and his interaction with us. And the first is this idea that, that God is above us. God is above us. Reading in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 6. Psalm 8. I didn't put all of these on the screen because there's a lot of psalms that I'm going to go through. So Psalm 8, 3 through 6. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that, are, that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than, than the angels and crowned them the glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. 
And so as we look at God and this characteristic of God, we see that he is above us. And for theologians, that's called transcendence. That he is operating in some different realm. That he is above us. And there's this very clear hierarchy that exists when it comes to God. He is above us. He is in some other existence that is beyond even our comprehension. And he sets in place the heavens, he sets in place the moon and the stars. They've all been placed where they are because of God. And it's that God that we worship. He's very much in control and supreme over all. But as he relates to us humans, this hierarchy changes. He starts to delegate to us something else. He is, he's mindful of them. He's, he cares for them. And even though he's supreme, he gives us a very specific responsibility to rule over creation. But just because we're given that authority doesn't mean that we are now God's. God is still above all. And so we are not God's, the creator now serves. We are the created serving the creator, even if he delegates those responsibilities to us. And often we get that out of order, right? We look at our lives and look at the way we function, how we make decisions, how we process things, and, and are we acting more like we are the gods and the creator serves us? He's there to serve our needs. Or do we remember that God is above all? Another characteristic we see is that God is near. Such, such tensions here, such extremes, that, that God is above all, but he's also near. God is near to us. He draws close to us. He comes down to our level to be with us. We spend time at Christmas talking and reflecting and celebrating the fact that, that God would send his son to be with us. The idea of Emmanuel, God with us, here in the flesh. And so God is above all, but he's very much in with us and near us. This is called the eminence of God. We see an example of it in Psalm 121, verse 3. Psalm 121, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will never slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So God does not sleep. God doesn't go on vacation and leave us to fend for ourselves. God is watching over us. He is near us. He keeps us from harm. And he is there in our coming and going. He's present. I've got here on my wrist a Fitbit. I don't know how many of you have one of those. It, it measures how many steps you take. It, it measures your heart rate. It measures how many stairs you climb and all that kind of stuff. And it stores all that data. And, and you can log into a website and you can monitor your progress on that. So I can, I can check on my tablet and see how many steps I've done today. 
Um, and it stores all of this on the internet, which I know some of us are a little freaked out about, right? And so it's storing all of this data about how many steps I've taken and what my heart rate is and how that heart rate goes up and down. <laughs> and so this website is storing all of this data. And it's not just my data. It's, it's storing the data of every Fitbit user that actually wears it. There's a difference, right? And so the, the, for everybody who's actually wearing it. And so if we can invent some sort of technology that simultaneously is monitoring the steps and the hearts of people all over the world, how much greater is God? We think about how impossible it is that God could monitor hearts of all of us, and we've created a technology to do it right here. And so how incredible is it that God is near enough to know my heart and to know what's going on in my heart? He's that close to each of us. The third characteristic of God is he is above all, and he is very near, which means God has a plan. He is working out a plan for us and, and with us. He has a plan for us. This is called the providence of God. Psalm 139 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. And so God is working out a plan for those who trust him and follow him, and that is a good plan that comes from a good God. The apostle Paul assured that every believer of God's great assured that the early believers of God's great care over their lives in Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so God has a plan. He's near us, but he's also above us. And God is working all things out for the good of his vision and his plan and his purposes for us as an individual, for us as a church, for us as a nation. He is working something out. Now, it doesn't take long to start picking this apart and start thinking about, well, what if, and what about this situation? What about cancer? What about unemployment? What about famine? What about wars? What about all of these things that we experience in our lives, some very personally? We say, is that a God with a plan? And what kind of plan is it? And so this is where it is so important for us to really have a belief that goes from our head to our heart that says God is in control, that he has a plan for my life. He cares about me as an individual. Because that faith will be challenged if it hasn't already been. 
It's challenged right now as we think about God having a plan, God being near. And so for us to have this belief that God cares about us, for us to have this belief that he's involved in our day-to-day lives, what, what does that mean for us? What, what, what's the application for us here? What difference does this make in the way I live? Because the belief should change the way we live our lives. And so if this really is our belief, if we really do believe that God is involved, that he cares about our daily lives, then what is going to change about our lives? And so we have to understand as we, as we look at our lives that God's ways are higher than our ways. If God really is above all things, then God's ways are higher than our ways. And so we can't comprehend and we don't understand what that plan is. We're in the middle of something. We're in, we're in the middle of crisis. We're in the middle of conflict. We're in the middle of disease and sickness and illness and hurt and brokenness. We're in the middle of that, and we can't see God's plan. But his ways are higher than our ways. In Isaiah, God uses the, the distance between heaven and earth and, and the breadth and depth of his being to, dis, to teach us this depth and breadth of his being. He says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, yes, if God is above all, then we can't comprehend what God is even up to at times because he's above where we're at. And I can't comprehend something that's above me. If you have raised kids, you know this very well. You've got a toddler who wants to touch the hot stove and you know better than them what is good for them. But they have no comprehension of that. They don't understand what's good for them. We tell Annabeth to stay out of the recycling bin, which is impossible. She wants to dig through everything that's not a toy. And so she's digging through the recycling bin, and we try to stop her, and we know that this is a bad plan, but she wants to do it anyway. And so she she reaches in and grabs a can and slices her finger open. Oh, poor thing. We told her no. We warned her. We knew that it was a bad plan. And, and how many times does that come up with? We won't even get into examples of teenagers, right? We won't even go there. Where, where maybe in our experience, we might know something that they don't, right? And we are just as bad with God. We like to think we know it. We got it figured out. We know what the plan is. But God knows something that we don't. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we don't, always ha- we don't always have to understand what God is up to. We don't have to understand the instructions. We don't have to be able to comprehend, stay out of the recycling bin. We don't have to understand that. We just have to do it. We have to obey it. And so God gives us parameters, he gives us situations, he's got this plan in place, but we don't comprehend it, and so we just have to be obedient 
in that because God is above all. But we also know that, that God who controls nature and history knows and cares about us. If he is near us, then we know that he cares for us. If, if God is near, we shouldn't have to worry about the things as much as we do. We shouldn't have to worry about what the plan is. We shouldn't have to know all the answers. We shouldn't have to know how the things connect in our lives because we trust that he cares for us, that he knows us and knows what's best for us. Jesus talks about worry in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now these are the words of Jesus telling us, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about what's coming tomorrow. And these are words that we read frequently, but, but do we really understand them? Do we, do we really live that out? So how many of you have thought about lunch already? Like you're sitting here thinking about what the plan is for lunch. Like definitely, you guys are definitely thinking about lunch. Because we worry about these things, right? Like, we all made some sort of decision about what to wear today, thankfully. Like, we came here with clothes, right? And some of us had, had different choices, and some of us put a lot more thought into it than others, but we thought about what to wear, right? And so we look at things that Jesus says, and, we say, and he says, do not worry, because God is there taking care of it. He's going to provide what you need. But his ways are above our ways, and we don't necessarily know what that means or, or how to even live that out. So God is working. The God who controls nature, the one who controls history, he knows and cares about us. He, he's near to us and comes to our level. And God is working out his good plan in our lives. He has a plan for us. He has a plan. And we need to take encouragement that we're a part of that plan and know that he is above all but also near in that plan. And so we may not comprehend it. We don't understand it. It's painful in the moment. But he has a plan for us. In Philippians 1, 6, he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on 
to completion until the day of Christ. He begins a good work in us. There is something going on in us, and he's working at it until the very end. And so if we truly believe that God is involved in and cares about our daily lives, if we, if we really can say that in our hearts, that that's true, then every morning we will get up and we will be listening to God to say, what is your plan for today? We may not know the big picture, but we know that he has a big picture. We may not know how every day plans out, but we know that we are participating in the work of God if we will be faithful and obedient to what he's called us into. His heart is to keep us close to him no matter what circumstances we're walking through. Now, now these are difficult words for us. And there's so many stories right now in this room of things where this just doesn't make any sense. Where there is pain and there is hurt, there's loss, there's disappointment. And I see those stories in your faces. And so we stand with each other in that. And hopefully there's enough of us that are having good days to help stand as a community with those who are having bad days. Because we believe in the God of the Bible, the one true God. And we believe, even in those difficult days, we believe that he's involved in and cares about us, even if we can't comprehend it. Let's stand together. Let's read this out loud. And some of us will have to read it in faith in hopes that it will get to our heart. And others can read it confidently having journeyed through something already. And we're here to provide encouragement for others. And so let's say this aloud together. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. That's what we believe. Let it find way to your heart today. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And we have journeyed together as a family. If, you've, if you're visiting with us or have not been with us for very long, uh, this may be something that is out of your comfort zone or it's something different for you, but, but we very much believe in prayer and the power of prayer. And this is a time for us to pray with one another and for one another. And so you are connected enough with one another to know that there are situations that need to be prayed for, and I want you to take the initiative and go pray for that person. Um, I want you to uh, have the humility and the vulnerability to go seek prayer if you find yourself in a situation where you need prayer. 
And so this is going to be a time of prayer. We'll have shepherds down front. You can move across the aisle and around the room. It's a time that you can pray with one another and for one another because we as a community of God's people stand with one another and hold one another up and encourage one another, even in the midst of situations that seem just hopeless. Because we do have a God who is involved in and cares for our daily lives. I very much believe that. So we're going to spend some time in prayer now. Let's pray together. God, you are a good God. And we struggle through that, and when it's a challenge, and we don't always understand what that means, but, but we confidently say to you that you are in control. You are above all. You know situations that we can't even comprehend, and you have a plan that we can't even understand. Um, but God, we rest in the fact that you are also very near to us that you comfort us, you care for us, you love us, you take care of us. And so God, help us to rest in that. Help us to rest in knowing that you are involved in and care for our lives in ways we don't even understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray together.